0: You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. How's everybody doing this morning? Oh man, let's try it again. You decided that you would come to church on Labor Day, the day of labor. I have no idea whose labor, because it seems like everybody's still working when I was out this morning, but someone's labor. You came to church, and i got to say, Well done. Or you're watching online, in which case, A-. minus. No, I'm just joking. Well done. Well done. Well done. We're glad that you're here. Uh, I started noticing some of our college students are back in town, some of our uh, amazing, awesome college students. Uh, My wife and I were really excited to start our college group this week, and then my son got—I don't know what it is, but I call it gross— Um, I don't know if you know the consequence of small children not being around each other for a year and a half And then them all getting around each other Uh, it's gross. I'm not a I'm not a a physician That's the word I have for it. Uh, but i'm excited to be here this morning as my wife is home watching online Good to see you babe and uh joining us online with my child Uh, i'm excited to be here today. Didn't our worship team just do an awesome job today? Man, I love that. I love, and we are really in a spirit of believing for the God of revival. The God of revival. And you know where the God of revival stirs up revival fire first? He stirs it up right here in our hearts. Just some awesome things going on. I we were meeting with our uh, Love the Block uh, pod leaders, getting ready for not this Thursday, but next Thursday to launch Love the Block, and as a full time ministry, meaning you can sign up every week or any week or at any moment to come and serve Thursday nights. And uh, man, we were just excited about what God is doing, and I'm really excited today because I believe in line with that. We are starting a series. We ended our series on Elijah. We're starting our series on 1 Peter called Everyday Evangelism. Everyday Evangelism. Now, I know when I say evangelism, we get a little nervous. Uh... And uh, I, I just like to Maybe I didn't share this in first service But I, you're here at second service So I'm going to tell you a story Can I tell you a story this morning? I didn't share this I want to tell you this story Of the time I tried to lead my friend to Jesus And failed miserably uh, Just so we feel like we're kindred spirits Maybe if you've had this experience I uh, had a buddy Really good friend of mine Really smart Way smarter than me um, and That he thought um, And uh, But we were really good friends Grew up together and he, he was not a believer. And, you know, I had, like, in high school, when I really got on fire for the Lord, I started a youth ministry. And we had a bunch of kids um, from an inner city area that we would just gather and take over this gymnasium that someone foolishly chose to rent to a high schooler. Um, and we would just gather together. And, uh, anyways, I was on fire for the Lord. And so I was like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell my buddy about Jesus. Like, I, I thought I had my opening. We're at his house, we're playing Halo. We're all linked up on the screens, which, if you've ever played a, a video game with others, is not the time to talk about Jesus. <laughs> People are not in the mindset to hear about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ after you just murked them, you know, across the thing with a sniper rifle. But I felt like that was apparently my moment to tell them about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so I jumped into it and uh, I told them about Jesus. And he's like, he's just looked at me, I gave my spiel. I like did my thing, right? You know, but like my youth pastor told me, right? I did my thing. I did like the Romans road. And he just looked at me and he's like, nah. And then just went back to it. And I was like, ah. And so then, like, we got into this dialogue because uh, he really liked to debate because he could tell that I wasn't satisfied with that. And so we kind of started debating back and forth. And I remember, like, leaving this time and being like, I. I did such a bad job. <laughs> like, like, I've never had experience. It's like the most important thing in my entire life. And I was like, man, I did a really bad job telling him about that. And it's like, I know that, like, the Holy Spirit was with me. He's going to come alongside of me. But I was definitely the weak link in that equation. And I did a bad job. Halfway through, I was like, I don't know what you're saying. Like, I just, I was just confused. It was probably early in the morning. And so I went to my youth pastor, or or not my youth pastor, I went to one of the pastors uh, that I was kind of working under at the time. And I was like, hey, I uh, tried to tell my buddy, and this kind of really messed with me because I've told a lot of people about Jesus and it's gone really well. And this went like really bad. And not that I don't care about those strangers, but like, this is a really good friend of mine. And he's like, well, Josh, what you need to do is just like live in a way that when he sees you he wants Jesus and I was like I can do that he's like because someday something terrible is gonna happen to him I was like what and he's like and then he's gonna need to know about Jesus and I was like okay so just real quick the game plan is I have to hope something bad happens to my friend so that he can see that I'm a good enough person which we both know is not true that he's gonna want what I have and he's like yeah and I was like okay well that's not I just live quietly. Like, okay, <laughs> okay. And so then I like had this anxiety where my people who grew up in youth group, you know what I'm talking about? I had this anxiety of like, I hope I'm living good enough that they all want Jesus, right? It's like every decision was like, yeah, but if I get angry here, then they might not do it. And if they say no, it's because of who I am, but I'm not perfect. I can't, right? And I just lived in like neurosis. And I'm like an adult <laughs> at this point. And, uh, and I remember thinking like, this can't be evangelism, right? This can't be it. Like, I told people on the street, I had told, I had done events, so we're in a church of a couple thousand people, and I just remember being, like, overwhelmed by the idea of evangelism. So I tell you that story to say, if you are here, as someone who has told many people about Jesus, and the idea of a series on evangelism stresses you out because you think I'm going to make you go door-to-door to to tell people about Jesus, uh, we're just of the same spirit. That's what I'm here to say. (laughs) <laughs> right? Now, I like going door to door and telling people about Jesus, and some of you might. Uh, but if you're like, oh my gosh, a series on evangelism, this is where the pastor tells us we're not doing a good enough telling job telling people about Jesus, that's not this series. And I'm also with you. If you've ever tried and failed to tell somebody about the greatest thing on earth and just blown it, I'm also with you. I'm with you today. I've tried. I've made mistakes. And so today in this whole series, we're not talking about being perfect, We're just talking about pursuing the great and awesome plan God has for us. Because guess what? God has given us something amazing. I don't know if you knew this. Maybe you just came in or maybe you're joining us online and you didn't know. But Jesus Christ came to this earth and died on a cross for me and for you. No matter what our sin and shame, he took it upon himself and he died for it. He was the sacrifice for our sin. He took it upon himself. He went to the grave. And on the third day, he rose again. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. And he said, listen, I'm inviting you into the resurrection, into new life. If you're in me, the old is gone, the new has come, which means for every single person, there is hope for the future and healing for the past. God can do a miracle in your life. We've been given something amazing. And if you didn't know, I want you to to hear me today that even in this moment or the next moment or the moment to continue, you can receive that at any moment because God loves you that much and he cares for you that deeply. And no matter how you came in here, no matter what you carry in here, Jesus says, I'm for you and I want to have a relationship with you. So we're going to do a series on evangelism. First service didn't get that. You got that second service. Good job, guys. (laughs) If you were to picture, let's do a thought exercise. If you were to picture an evangelist, what would you picture? If you were to picture an evangelist, what would you picture? Maybe like a a suit? What did you say? Billy Graham, yeah, Billy Graham. Half of you are like, yes, but you couldn't actually picture Billy Graham. You just heard that name. So maybe (laughs) you don't actually know what he looks like, but uh, Billy Graham, yeah, great evangelist, Billy Graham. Uh, You might picture like a suit. I picture like a Southern accent, I had to clarify in the first-service difference between a southern accent and a country accent. Because where I'm from in Washington, people have country accents. And what that means is that you have a truck and only listen to country music. You're from the same town as me, but you only listen to country. So you say country words, but you're not from the south. Anyone from a place like this, you know what I'm talking about? Right? It's like, how? We went to the same high school. Why do you sound like you're from Nashville? Right? (laughs) And it's like, well, because that's... Who I hang out with, right? Uh, so I picture a southern accent. Someone earlier uh, at first service said picture like the towel, you know, like Lord, you know, right, you know. Uh, picture maybe like a platform, maybe like a podium. Strong voice, people listening, huh? Fake plants, <laughs> televangelist for sure, <laughs> for sure. That's fake. I would have never guessed someone was going to say fake plants in like eight years of this sermon. If we if we rolled it back, Scott, I love you. Um, <laughs> Okay, fake plants, like a G6, yeah. Uh, yeah, some good, some bad. It's a mixed bag with evangelists. Um, I think the problem, though, is that that is what I think about. I don't know about you. Um, and so what happens is I can begin to picture evangelism as like an event, right? It, like, happens in, like, a tent or, like, an arena. They stand out. They got the platform. Everyone's watching. They're, like, doing the podium in, like, a kind way, not like a Mussolini way, like a kind way. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, some you're like, who's that? It's too much to explain but I picture that I picture like an event I think we as a culture we picture evangelism as an event it is driven by an event happens in a tent a revival meeting a revival tent meeting and I have to say there's some awesome people in history and currently who are great evangelists who stand on a platform and have southern accents and fake plants and lead lots of people to the Lord right there are those people that are so gifted but what about the rest of us what about everybody else Because what happens is I think we begin to see evangelism as an event. But when we look at the history of the church and we look at the church in most of the world, it's not that way. It's not an event. For most of church history, it's not been that way. For most of the world, it's not this way. And honestly, increasingly in the Western world, it's not going to be this way. Christians don't really have uh, cultural power and influence in that same way. And I think if we were to look ahead and be honest, we would see that cultural power and influence fading. Pastor uh, isn't really um, a like culturally respected title. Now, I'm from Seattle, and uh, when I was growing up, when I first became a pastor, I was still playing in bands uh, in downtown Seattle. If you don't know uh, about Seattle, it's this place up north, and it's very uh, unique, uh, people are like, ha- you know, like one of the places I played at, played music at, is in an area where they kind of like redesignated the Chaz or the Chop. If you remember that, feels like eight years ago. That was like a year ago that that happened, <laughs> the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Um, and I remember sitting in a green room talking to a band, and we'd talk, you know, the whole time and hang out after sound check. And, you know, it was fun. It's really good. It's jovial. And they'd be like, what do you do? And I'd be like, oh, I'm a pastor. they'd be like, okay. And then that conversation was over. (laughs) Didn't matter how much lukewarm PBR was in that green room. Nobody's talking to anybody, right? Why? Because it was not respected. Nobody cared. Things have changed. And And I'm not trying to be like dystopian. I'm not this person. But I think when we look at the scope of human history, there may come a day, may come a day, when we lose voice, platform, and there may come a day that there is persecution, God bless you. Someone had to say it. There might be persecution. It was interesting. I was reading this week um, about Afghanistan and all of the devastation that's happening there and it's some of the most brutal stuff I've ever read. But one of the things that was so interesting because I was reading about the state of the house church movement in Afghanistan. As I was reading about it, you know, it's all terrible, 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 all the things that are happening. And yet the one of the pastors inner put in there, in the description of what was occurring, that the church was growing. I thought, really? They said, yes, it's growing. It's growing rapidly. Because as people are seeing things that they do not want to see in their country, they're looking for hope. And so there are people under threat of death who are offering the hope of Jesus Christ. Like, that's amazing. To the point that, not of volume or number of people, but of speed of growth, it is the second fastest growing church in the world behind Iran, which is also surprising. There's a great documentary about it if you want to, um, I can send it to you later. But I thought that was interesting. I don't, I don't know if you found it interesting. I thought that was interesting. Because, like, where are the events? I say this jokingly because I know the answer Where are the programs? I thought a good church Couldn't grow if they didn't have like a youth pastor And a flashy kids ministry and like a small group That was the exact same age group everybody's in That's what I've been being told How is it Happening then? How is it growing? How is it expanding under threat of like The worst persecution I could Ever imagine? How are they growing? They're exiles in their own land In their own country, in their own City, from their own families Completely cut off and it's because evangelism events are great, but we were not created just for evangelism events. We were created for everyday evangelism, a life lived in evangelism. First Peter is all about speaking to a group of people who are exiled, who are cut off, who are under persecution and saying, listen, you need to think of evangelism as exiles. So to the church, I say to us, because the world is ever-shifting, church we need to begin to think of evangelism as exiles and begin to see it as everyday evangelism because can I tell you as discouraging as things you might see in the news or in culture might be there is hope in a church that begins to grab a hold of everyday evangelism there's a future, there's glory, there's joy, there's freedom in a church that does that So I want to jump in. If you have your Bible, go with me to 1 Peter verse 1. If not, don't worry. Words will be on the screen. If you're joining us online, the words will be available for you on the screen and at the sidebar. But I want to jump into 1 Peter. Before we do that, can we pray together this morning? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's alive and active. We thank you, God, that you have a great call upon your church. We thank you that we are the bride of Christ, and we pray as we hear your word this morning, we wouldn't just be informed, but you would begin to transform our heart and renew our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's jump to it then. 1 Peter 1, 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who are elect exiles, I'll explain these words in a second, elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is his address. What a baller way to start a letter, right? Like... He's speaking to a group of people. Who are they? They are the elect exiles in the dispersion. Now, elect, in the Old Testament, it meant the Jewish people, the people of Israel, the people of God. They were elect, right? They were the people chosen, another word, chosen by God, right? So God knew before time he's going to choose a people to bring the Messiah through. In the New Testament, who are the elect? They're the believers, Because through Jesus Christ, it's not just that salvation is for the Jewish people, but also the Gentiles, for the non-Jewish people, people like me, people like you. That salvation is for us. But he's speaking specifically, this letter is written to, every time you read a letter in the New Testament, it's written to a group of people. And this is important, right? Because when you read an epistle, when you read a letter to a group of people— we have to make sure as we're studying it that what we read here aligns and the doctrine we form from it aligns with what all the scriptures saying. What can be problematic when we read epistles that are written to a church and written to a group of people is that people take the words of Paul or Peter and they pull out these chunks And they say, this is doctrine when that doctrine counteracts all of Scripture. Like, at this church, this might get me in trouble, but my wife's not here, so it's fine. She's not here to say, like, stop talking. Uh, Like, we believe in women in ministry. And people will pull out epistles and say, look, and I'll say, well, let's put them against all of Scripture. And then that usually doesn't go super well for them. Because Scripture is full of the affirmation, women judges pouring out your spirit, all men and women, women apostles, all kinds of things. So, I say that to say, There's all kinds of things you can do that. Gifts of the Spirit, all things people do crazy stuff with when it comes to doctrine. But this scripture is written to these exiles in Asia Minor, describing to them what God wants to do in their exile. And everything that we talk about will also come from the totality of scripture because the Bible does not contradict itself. Cool? Cool. Awesome. So, elect meaning uh, they're, they're, they're the believers. So these are Jewish people who are believers, and they're in the dispersion, which in other words would, would be diaspora. So the Jewish diaspora at that time was the spreading out through the empire, and these specific Jewish people were uh, in exile in what would be modern-day Turkey. They're in modern-day Turkey. And the people he's speaking to are Jewish people who also became believers. Why does that matter? Well, Because the Jewish people in the diaspora had a very tight-knit community, very tight-knit community. Your job was through your family, your family was through your family, (laughs) and your friends also were connected to your family. And so if you became a believer, you met kind of a unique persecution. See, this isn't the Nero days where he's like dipping people in oil and burning them at the stake It's not that kind of persecution It's a unique persecution in the sense that if you choose to follow Jesus as a, as a uh, Jewish believer at the time If you chose to follow Jesus, you were committing heresy So your good Jewish parents did what good Jewish parents did And they kicked you out and disowned you So that meant you lost your job That meant you lost your family And that meant you lost your friends Now, that's not getting burned at the stake, but that's still tragic, right? And that's the persecution that they were facing. They were being reviled. They were being mocked. These are the people that he's talking to. They were being shunned. They were being cast out of their community. In fact, we know from history, because history is not kind to Christians, especially this age, that the word Christian was often used to mock them as an idiot. Like, oh, you're such a Christian. They said things like, when you read about the early church, they would joke that they were cannibals because they drank the blood and ate the body of communion. They're like, what are they doing? They're just drinking blood and eating bodies, right? Uh, It was not history was not kind, right? (laughs) The, The people writing history at the time. We also know in, in 1 Peter 4, 3, a little bit uh, ahead of where our scripture is, uh, Peter, like, reassures people. He says, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. They listen some things living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. And then he says this, so fascinating. He says, with respect to this, they, meaning the, the people in the surrounding culture, are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. That word is to slander with words. Uh, it'd be like the modern equivalent of attacking you verbally, calling you a bigot, calling you uh, non-affirming, all these kind of things, right? They, they begin to attack people. And it's interesting because Peter's kind of setting this stage here for us and, and for the people he's speaking to of making a connection between Christian suffering and Christ's suffering, and so he's using this term like elect and foreknown and describing the sufferings and describing how he was shamed and cast out because that's what we see all through scripture about Jesus. Jesus was elect, he was chosen, Jesus was foreknown, foreknown, Jesus was scorned, Jesus was maligned, right? And he and he says the same things can happen to his followers. But it's very unique because Peter Peter is Showing people Wow, close uh, Showing people (laughs) Something important here A lot of Ps Important here And then he's showing there's a solidarity in Christ And why why is that important? Well, it's important because We have this unique hope in future glory If you're writing notes I, I just want you to write this down Hope in future glory Hope in future glory Let me explain what I mean This is a major theme in 1 Peter. Peter's writing to a group of people facing trials. People's writing to a group of people facing opposition, shame, reviling, mocking them, and he's reassuring them that there is a hope for future glory. Let me read it. Can we read it together? Is that okay? Okay, awesome. Uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Amen? To the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through the faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold Peter's celebrating their new birth, their new life in Jesus Christ. Our mission, our uh, vision statement here is on the back, so that all people can experience the freedom and the power of a new life in Jesus Christ. That's why we exist—a new life, not like an old life with a band-aid on it, not like an old life that's like covered with bondo, like a trick classic car that if you push too hard, it's just gonna crack through, right? A new life, a new life. He's saying, listen, you've received a living hope. I have that underlined in my Bible. A living hope, not based on this life, not based off what we face in this world, but a life that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's what he goes. He keeps going to verse 10. You still with me? Okay, okay. Three of you, you still with me Amen. Okay, awesome. Okay, good. I know. It got really warm, but I heard that AC go on, so I think we're on the right track, y'all. Verse 10. Concerning this salvation What is he saying? He's saying the prophets prophesied about what was to come in Jesus Christ, and they want to know when. Like, when is this Messiah coming? I mean, if, we, if, if you were persecuted, you'd be like, when is this Messiah coming? When are we getting out of this? If you were under the thumb of Rome, you'd be like, please, now, right? Come now. They wanted to know. But what's interesting here is he's saying despite being foreknown, Jesus suffered and endured persecution, even to the end. When you read about Jesus' crucifixion, he was being mocked and brutalized all the way to the ends. But what I love is that at the end, when he's put in the grave, that's actually not the end of Jesus' story, and that means it's not the end of our story. Because as Jesus rose to life, he invites us to life in the resurrection. And so as he suffers and we suffer, we celebrate the life that we've received. That's why he goes down, if you just jump down to verse 18. He says, knowing that you were ransomed from futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are all believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Okay, look at that last part. What does he say? He says, God raised Jesus and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This is really important. It's not like God raised Jesus from the grave and was like, whoo, that was close, right? Then they got back to their like, heavenly Airbnb and were like, wow, that was, almost got us, right? I did not see the cross thing coming. That came out of left field, right? I'm glad we made it. It was a heavy stone, but we rolled it, and it was cool. We're fine. Everyone's fine. We made it, right? That's not the timbre. That's not the, the attitude of heaven. God did not raise Jesus like, whoo, that was close. He, was, he raised him into glory, in power there was not a moment where god was overwhelmed by death and that's supposed to give us hope is that we see the trials that jesus faced and how they intersect with our own rejection and our own suffering but as we are united with christ in his suffering we are also united with him in his glory first peter 4:12 says beloved don't be surprised at the fiery trial, when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, that's <laughs> I'm constantly surprised, right? Is anyone else constantly surprised? I know it says, don't be surprised, but I'm, I'm like, God, what's happening? And then I'm like, do not be surprised. Like, oh, okay. At the fiery trial, when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, he's saying, this, this is the, the world. He said, but... Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Okay, I want I want to take a second here because I don't want to move on, because I don't think we've quite got it yet, because this is a transformative truth uh, in Scripture. How amazing is it that we can rejoice because our earthly struggles pale in comparison to the glory that will be revealed through Jesus Christ when he returns. The glory. Glory for you. See, when God saved you, when God removed your sin and shame on the cross, when Jesus takes your sin and shame, he doesn't stop there. He then gives us the righteousness Right, God gives us the righteousness of his son Scripture says God made him Meaning Jesus who had no sin To be sin for us So that through him we might become the righteousness of God So when Jesus looked, or when God looks at you He doesn't judge he doesn't, he doesn't see your sin He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ covering you That's amazing But what's even more amazing is that God didn't stop there then he supplied his spirit, the Holy Spirit, as a seal of a recognition of the anointing and a guide, a counselor, a comforter. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Like right there, that would be like the best Christmas ever, right? Like that's pretty awesome. That's pretty great. But scripture says he doesn't stop there. From beginning, his plan was this, to take us all the way from shame to glory, not shame to baseline existence. Not shame to barely making it. Not shame to wondering if we're in heaven. Not shame to being like, well, yeah, but I'm a mess and God doesn't really love me. Shame all the way to glory. That's how good God is. 1 First, uh, First Peter 1.4, if we go back just a second, it says, He gave us an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. God's called us to share in the inheritance of Christ. It's it's, it like blows my mind and I, this is my job. Right? I hope it's blowing, it blows my mind, right? That God takes someone like me and rescues me out of my sin and shame and says, no, 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 we're not stopping there. Come on, man. We're going all the way to glory. It's your inheritance. I'm like, how is it my inheritance? And he says this, Romans eight sixteen the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then look at this word, Heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, this last part we struggle with, provided we suffer with him in order that we also might be glorified with him. Here's the hope. He says, listen, you will suffer for my sake. The world doesn't like me. It's not going to like you if you're doing what I do. He says, but listen, you might suffer now but rejoice because you'll also share in the immeasurable glory because you're a co-heir. Heirs get what? An inheritance. You're like, what does this have to do with evangelism, (laughs) right? I thought evangelism was about other people and you just spent 20 minutes talking about us. Well, it's important. Why does future glory matter? Why does keeping this perspective that though I suffer now, I will have the future glory of Jesus Christ, that there's something greater for all eternity... Because shame silences witness. Hear me. Shame silences witness. As believers, we must hear and believe the promise of our future glory in in order to overcome the threat of shame and disgrace that would normally silence our witness. See, in America... The reason for lack of evangelism, I mean, we have this thing that's so precious and so beautiful and so amazing. It's not because we're afraid of death or torture or imprisonment. We're afraid of shame. I think we're more afraid as like a generation, meaning all people living together. We're probably more afraid of shame now than like ever publicly being shamed. People will be like, shame on you. It's like, well, you can try to put it on me, but I'm not taking it, so good luck. That's why I had to leave my Facebook. (laughs) We live in a culture. That's, some of you would rather go to prison than be shamed. But that's just because you've never been to prison. But, <laughs> but some of us, uh, we are afraid of being ignored or excluded, right? We're afraid of sharing the gospel. And pe- people thinking that we're closed-minded or unloving. I- I'm afraid of that. Sharing the gospel with someone I love and then thinking I don't love them now. When I love them more than anything. See, it might not be overt persecution that stops you. It might just be fear of being an outsider. It might be that shame of the people closest to you thinking that you're ignorant, foolish, maybe you're arrogant, maybe you're a prude. Maybe the fear of being uninvited, unrecognized, or unwanted. Am I Am I hidden in here? Am I close? Because I feel like I'm speaking to myself a little bit here, but I hope you're hearing me as well. I wrestle with these as well. Right, that fear that... Uh, you're gonna go on Instagram and see everybody else out partying <laughs> having a good time. And like you're like, I have no text messages from these people. What's going on? And then have it happen again, right? It's that fear of missing out. Got that FOMO so tough. It's like, man, if I tell people this, I'm gonna fear of missing out. Because we live in a world that doesn't want people to be transformed and renewed. And so they're like, oh yeah, do whatever. And we're saying, no, there's there's life and there's freedom. So we're afraid of telling people about life and freedom and transformation and hope and healing because we don't want to go online and see people having fun without us. But the reality is I wonder how many people have such great FOMO for themselves when they really should have it for others. What about the fear of others missing out on the kingdom of God and eternal life? What about the fear of others missing the hope and healing of Jesus Christ See, that fear in all of us, that's why I told you my story to start, right? So you wouldn't think I'm up here on my high horse. That fear will try to quench the revival fire that God wants to stir up in his church. What God wants to do through you, not as a perfect person, as a pursuant person, someone who's seeking after him. That fear will try to quench that revival fire. But guys, we have the hope of a future glory something far greater than any fear or shame that anyone would come against us. You have the hope of a future glory shared with Jesus Christ. That's the greatest, that's like one of the greatest things you could ever receive. We've done nothing to receive it. We've not earned it. You can't buy it, but we have that through Christ. And he's saying, listen, we, we don't fear. Peter is speaking to the church. We don't fear being shamed. We don't fear being reviled. We don't fear being persecuted. We don't fear being attacked. I'm not like running into it and excited about it, but I'm certainly not going to fear it, because we have the hope of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to go even weirder. Can we do that today? Okay, I'm going to go one step crazier, and if you don't know, I just welcome to Banner Church, I guess. I don't know. We're a pretty normal group of people, uh, but I'm going to say something even crazier. We actually rejoice in it. You're like, okay, that's it. I'm signing offline, right? YouTube views, (laughs) We, are, we rejoice in it. Let me let me explain, because I know that sounds crazy. As Christians, we can, not by our own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, we can have joy in suffering. That's really unique. Joy in suffering. If you're writing notes, write that down. Look, it's a point. Uh, joy in suffering. Christians, well, we're weird for many ways. We're really into Chick-fil-A for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> but we're unique in the sense believers are unique in a good way Because we can have joy in the middle of suffering That's because we serve a god that's promised a greater future glory But walks with us now today in all suffering and is the only one who can take what the enemy meant for evil And turn it for good only god can bring hope out of afghanistan today That we're seeing it's like it's it's otherworldly. You're right. It's supernatural It's interesting. I was reading about uh, in early America, and um, reading about the journey of slaves, and especially uh, the early uh, black church in America. And um, it's interesting. Slaves in (laughs) America—they, the very people who showed them the Bible, didn't let them gather for church. It was illegal. And so, what they did is they would sneak out in the middle of the night, and they would go to these secret gatherings. And they would worship together, like under threat of beatings, lashings, death. I mean, all kinds of horrible things, right? What? What? I mean, that right there is a miracle, right? It takes a lot of work to get people to church today, let alone sneaking out because you're going to get beaten, right? Like I think I'll join online. Uh, But they would sneak out and. Uh, I was reading this report from Peter Randolph, who was a slave in the 1800s, and he records that they would gather in this secret location and they would pray and they would worship and they would read the word and they would sing. And he said, We would sing until everyone was feeling generally happy. And he said that during these times, their sufferings would just vanish and they would feel joy. And that is beyond my comprehension. That is powerful, that's supernatural. Because they knew after this moment they were going back not to their not to luxury condos, they were going back to slavery. Slavery. That they were enslaved because of the color of their skin. They knew they were going back to that. And what he said, what they would do is they would end every service by singing a hymn of joy, and then they would all collectively say, Thank God, I shall not live here always. The history of the church is the history of incredible joy through immense suffering. Romans 5.3 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, we have the Holy Spirit. All who call on the name of the Lord are saved. He gives you His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to dwell within you. And because of that, even in suffering, we can have joy through a living hope of Jesus Christ. And what's even amazing is if you can begin to have hope and joy even in suffering, you can share the hope of Jesus in every situation. See, in the face of sufferings, church, we don't get exasperated. We evangelize. What do you mean? I mean we share hope. I fear, church, a little bit that uh, the world is beginning to think that all we do is just complain about things. Just complain and worry and moan and post and moan. I just, I got tired of it. Because my fear a little bit is we're going to like that car alarm going off. You guys remember the first time you heard a car alarm and like something was happening? First time I heard a car alarm, I like ran out of the house. I remember being young and like running out of the house and being like, "What's happening? Someone's breaking in! It's happening! We're going down!" Right? Like, you know, it's like your buddies come out of their houses and you're in the, you're in the, or oh, you maybe didn't live in the city, but like I don't know, house down far away. I don't know. Do people break into cars? They broke into cars in my neighborhood. Uh, and you come out and you're like, you're watching and everyone's there. You're like, "What's happening? What's going on?" Now, when a car alarm goes off, I'm like, "Oh my gosh! Someone better be breaking into that car!" <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> it's just like I was like eating over the Fashion Square. <laughs> It's just like, oh, this is car alarm going off for like 20 minutes. I was like, God, would you just come down like the fire of Elijah and consume this car in the name of Jesus? I don't ask for much, but consume this car with a holy fire, right? <laughs> my, my neighbor's car, a car alarm goes off constantly. No, I don't go out and look. It goes off every week because they don't know how to work the clicker. <laughs> I don't go look. I don't go look. When was the last time you went looked at a car alarm? Like 12 years ago? Yeah. Like Bush was president, right? Last <laughs> time so anyone cared about a car alarm? The first bush. (laughs) Some of you are like, I wasn't even alive. (laughs) But in the face of suffering, you know what we do? We don't moan. We don't groan. We offer an incredible, indescribable, inexplicable hope. It's the kind of hope that people open their ears to. You ever met somebody? You're like, why are you so hopeful? You want to know what's going on in that life because the world just doesn't have that much hope in it. That's the great thing about having hope in suffering is we have a world of suffering and the gift of hope. You will never run out of places to share that hope. It's like being the only person in the desert with water. That's the beauty is that hope brings opportunity. See, you don't need a degree You don't need a platform. You don't need a stadium. Right? You know what you need? Hope. That's what you need. Hope brings opportunity. When you have hope, even in persecution, it brings opportunity for the gospel to be shared. I'll give you an example. Acts 16, Paul and Silas, apostles, apostles sharing the gospel, they are imprisoned, they're beaten, they're exhausted, it says they're put into the inner cell, Uh, not a lot of lights, no Wi-Fi, it's a dark, dark place. There's a reason for them to be discouraged and to be hopeless. But what do they do? They do something I think is amazing. They begin to worship and pray. And it says, the power of God comes and shakes the prison and opens all the prison doors. And I want you to know that I love Jesus with all of my heart. And the minute that door opens, I would sane Bolt as fast as I can sane Bolt out the door, right? Immediately. And you know how all of you would be with me, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm very spiritual. I would stay. Really, I wouldn't. Um, <laughs> I would run, <laughs> All all joking aside, in this moment, the jailer is about to kill himself. Because in that time, if you let prisoners go, it was your life for their life. So he was in trouble, and very likely his whole family was in trouble. But Paul gives him hope. He does not run out of there with me. He gives him hope. It says in Acts 16, verse 28, Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. That's a miracle in itself. It says, And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Look at this. Rather than bemoan his situation and his persecution, what did Paul and Silas do? They worshiped and prayed. And guess what? They had hope. And so when an opportunity arose, guess what they had to offer somebody who needed hope? Hope. See, our hope isn't just in some future glory. It's a hope in a present providence today in your life where you are, where God has you. If you go with hope, you will find opportunity. That's why Peter says later in 1 Peter 3.13, he says, Now who's there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it, this is important, right? Do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. It doesn't count as persecution if you're mean to other people and they're mean to you back. That's just getting what's coming to you. <laughs> right? But he says, be prepared. When? When should we be prepared? In the future? Be prepared now. For God to move through you when? Where? Where? Where can God move in my life? Now. Revival when? Revival when the person I want to be in office is in office? Revival for when the laws I want to happen happen? Revival for when I get the money that I want and the job that I want and the people that I want and the relationship I want? No, right now. Right now. Can I ask the question? How many of us would have thought like Paul and Silas in that moment? I would have thought maybe, like, surely God was rescuing me from this place so I could go to something better, and then I could do ministry. And Paul Paul had the mentality and the mindset to say, wherever I am, there's ministry, there is evangelism, because wherever I go, I bring the hope of Jesus Christ with me. See, having hope means we have a such a time as this attitude. Such a time as this. Band, you guys could come up uh, this morning. I love reading about Esther. Esther. Esther was a woman literally in exile. You can read about her in the book of Esther. And she was taken captive in Persia. And she was brought—she was very beautiful. And she was brought into the king's harem. She was part of many wives of the king. And though— Uh, Technically speaking, that would have been a really luxurious position. I think it's persecution. And here's why I think it's persecution. Because if you're taken as someone's property, you're being persecuted. No matter how nice the setting is. Right? It's like, you're one of, how many women are like, yeah, sounds great. You'll just be one of 300 wives and taken against my will. That sounds amazing. No, nobody, please. If you raise your hand, we need to talk after. We'll pray God, (laughs) pray that God frees you from this. we got some single guys in here, you know, you could do better. Uh, But she is in a unique situation because though her people are suffering, though they're being occupied, though she is technically now part of the exiles, she's taken from her homeland, she's in Persia. She's given a unique opportunity because when she gets close to the king, she also discovers, and another person by the name of Mordecai discovers, there's a plot to kill all the Jewish people. And she has a unique opportunity to go before the king and speak for her people. But that's a scary thing. Why? Because if you go before the king and you're not invited, they could kill you. So a lot's at stake here. She has an opportunity, but it's a tough opportunity. She's afraid. She's afraid, reasonably, reasonably afraid, I think. And Mordecai, the the Jewish leader, says to her, he says, For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. See, Mordecai knew the Jewish people were going to be saved because they were the promised line of the Messiah. But he says, listen, Esther, you have been given an opportunity, even in suffering, to bring life for God to move through you. That you know you have an opportunity every day. That's why it's everyday evangelism, not event evangelism. In tough places, in tough situations, in places you would not expect, maybe someplace you don't even want to be. You have an opportunity that even in struggles, even in difficulties, to speak life and see lives transformed. Why? Because you have received a living hope of Jesus Christ. You might be exiles. There might be a day where you don't have the rights that you that we think that we once had. You might be physically persecuted. You might be verbally persecuted. But listen, you have been called to such a time as this, in this place, in this moment, in this city, to share the living hope of Jesus Christ. That's what evangelism is, to live out and speak out the living hope of Jesus Christ. I'm a big football fan. And uh, Seattle, the Seahawks were always bad until I got older. And I remember... In this interview, when the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl, and regardless of your football affiliation, I was I was blown away by this. Russell Wilson talks about when he was meeting with his dad, and he was struggling with a lot of doubt because the media was like, "He's too short. He can't do it. He can't make it happen," and uh, you know they were just harassing him constantly. And he's like, "I don't know if I can do it." And his dad looked at him and said, "Like, why not you? Why not you? Why not now?" why? I know you're telling me the reason, you know, you know it's like, but, but why not? Why can't it be you? Why can't you step up? And so then he went back to the team and he told the team, he said, listen, why not us? I know they're saying that we can't do it. This guy said, why not us? Why not us? I think that's the question for us when it comes to the hope of Jesus Christ. Why not? Why not me right now? I know I I might think I want somewhere else in a different situation, a different place, but wherever God has you right now, you are there for such a time as this. Because wherever you are, there's the hope of Jesus Christ, which means everyone around you can see the living hope. See, that's the kind of revival we need. We don't need more meetings. We don't need more tents. We don't need more stadiums. We need every day. We need more people to say in that moment, I see the future glory that God has promised, and even though I'm afraid right now, I'm going to lean into that because I believe in the living hope of Jesus Christ being preached to those around me. i got a fear of others missing out on the hope and healing of Jesus Christ more than I have a fear of missing out. I always wonder this, because wherever the gospel is preached, revival is spread. I always wonder how many revivals have stopped quick because people were afraid of being ashamed. How many revivals ended before they really took off? The desires of God's heart fulfilled because people were like, Yeah, but what will people think about me? Like, what will they think if they get to heaven and you didn't tell them? But the beautiful thing about following Christ is that regardless of how qualified you feel this morning, Regardless of how qualified you feel as an evangelist, you have the living hope of Jesus Christ if you've given your heart to Jesus, which means you are qualified to tell others about the hope of Jesus Christ in your school, at your work, in your family, in your community, in this city, in this nation, around the world. You have the living hope of Jesus, and the question is, will you share it? Will you share it? Remember, I have like a couple ways to respond response points. I have one response question. Will you share the gospel? Will you share the hope of Jesus Christ for such a time as this? Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to pray with you. you. Just bow your head and close your eyes. I want to invite you to have a moment, you and the Lord, this morning. That's why I say, bow your head and close your eyes. It just gives the time to focus and focus on the Lord. I'm just going to give two opportunities this morning. Very first thing, and I'll pray for you. And then in a little bit, the band is going to lead us through that song, God of Revival. We're going to open the altar and just have a time to surrender to the Lord and give it to Him. If you need God to move in your life, whether it be anything we spoke on or just in general, we want to pray with you today. But before we do that, I want to pray with you. I'd be honored to pray with you if today, for the first time, or maybe you've walked away and you're returning to this relationship with Jesus. If you've never made the decision or you're going to make it again to say, Jesus, I choose to follow you with my life. I want the hope and healing that comes through you. Do you know today that if anyone calls on the name of Jesus, they're saved. Scripture says, the old is gone, the new has come but you're a new creation. And so if today you're saying, Jesus, I want to choose to follow you with my life. I'm just going to invite you to lift your hand up and put it back down real quick. I want to pray for you today, Jesus. We thank you that all who call on the name of the Lord are saved and that you can do a miracle in everyone's life. We thank you, Jesus, that today there is hope and healing for all who cry out to you. We say, Jesus, you are our Lord and Savior. We give you our heart and our life in your name. Second thing this morning, I would love to pray for you today. If you're saying, Holy Spirit, would you awaken a boldness in me to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm not talking like old school, stand on a lunch table. I'm talking about living daily evangelism, having eyes that see opportunity because of the hope you have. Maybe some of you, you just need the eyes to see the hope you have. You've struggled to see that hope, and you need God to just renew that in you. But that's the Holy Spirit today. If you're saying, Holy Spirit, would you do a work in my heart to bring opportunity that I might share the gospel and produce a boldness in me. If that's here and you want to pray with me today, would you just lift your hands with me today? And I want to pray a boldness over your life today to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with gentleness and with confidence, standing firm in the hope of glory. Jesus, we thank you this morning. We thank you this morning that by your power, that we have been made new and that you have invited us into a living hope. God, that no matter our circumstances today, that we can have hope in you, Jesus. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move upon our hearts. God, for those that struggle to recognize that future glory and have been overcome by the fear of being shamed, God, would you set their eyes upon that future glory, Lord. God, for those who struggle with the boldness to Gently but confidently express the truth. God, would you give them that guidance and that wisdom? Holy Spirit, would you move through them? Would you stir up a passion for revival in their family, in their communities, in their workplaces, God, in our city, in our nation? Would you stir it up in us, God? Before you start it in the buildings, in the tents, in the streets, in the cities, in the schools, would you start it right here in our heart, Jesus? We pray, God of revival, do a work today in Jesus' name.